Oh, Father, I thank You. I thank You for the Christmas season. I thank You for Your Son and coming so, so long ago, Lord. And that still today we worship Him and praise His name. Lord, I pray that as we go through this message that Your words would speak loudly and that mine would be silent and that Your name would be glorified. And Lord, I pray that You will lift up this church and allow us to be a blessing in this community, to be a blessing wherever You will have us, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is uh, Pastor Zach Andrews. Uh, I'm the one that Zeke was talking about, I guess. But uh, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. And as you do, I want to set the scene. So, throughout this series in 1 Peter, I mean, God is reminding us that we're going to suffer for our faith. Even in the darkest moments, we're to stand firm in our faith. To hold on to Christ. We're to trust that that God has a plan in our life. But in chapter 5, we see that we need leadership to carry out God's plan. And I want to tell you beforehand that I I really believe in the leadership of this church and the men that are elders and, and Pastor Bill. So that's not what I'm calling. I'm not calling out the leadership. I'm calling out us to think about whether or not we're to be leaders so let's look at the text. 1 Peter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter, right here, he's laying out what it means to be a believer. All through 1 Peter, Peter is laying out what it means to be a believer. He's telling us in chapter 1 not to get caught up in the ways of the world because they're going to fade and wither, but Jesus is forever and ever. And then in chapter 2, he tells us to put our faith in this Jesus, the cornerstone. And then he reminds us that, that we're a royal priesthood. A chosen race because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, we're to keep doing good. Not because it it makes us better, but because the world sees our deeds and they see Jesus. We're to love others and we're to honor others. And then chapter 3, he gets real. He talks about being subject and obedient, even to people that don't deserve it. Be subject to the government, to your boss, your husband, your, your elders. I mean, this is some difficult stuff that we're seeing in 1 Peter. And then on top of it, he gets to chapter 4 and he tells us that we're going to suffer through all of this. I mean, imagine you're you're talking to somebody about Jesus. Hey, come to Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He will save you from all your sins. And oh yeah, you're going to suffer and people are going to hate you. But it's worth it. I mean, imagine if you were trying to sell a vacuum door to door. 
I remember my parents, they bought this rainbow vacuum when I was a kid. And I remember this guy coming in. He's telling them how awesome this thing is. How it's going to change their life. How it vacuums up everything. But imagine if he said, oh yeah, it's going to bring you turmoil and despair. I mean, every one of you is going to go, thanks, but, but no thanks. But yet, when we hear about this, this Jesus, this significant Jesus, people all the time go, yeah, that's who I want to be the head of my life. And I have to be honest with you, I'm straying just a little bit here, but I worry about the church in the United States of America. I don't think we truly understand the extent of, of this suffering that Peter is talking about. You see, my daughter, she's been depressed lately. She's been depressed because she's not going to get an iPod Touch for Christmas. Because it's the only thing that she wants besides a $2,000 puppy. She has no idea what it means to suffer in the rest of the world. I mean, there are kids all over this world that are dying from starvation. I so often struggle with how rich I am. Now I understand it's about my heart. But I so often wonder, is my heart in the right place? And I know I'm saved, I understand that, but where are my priorities? You see, I can take nothing with me when I die. Nothing. And this church is so rich. And I ask, what are we doing in the community? Now don't get me wrong. I mean, we as a church, we help people all the time. And the people in this church, I truly believe, are the greatest people in this town. Maybe in this state, maybe in the United States. But I believe that we can do so much more. Now, I don't want to make light of the coronavirus. I believe that as Christians, we should be the first people to love on anybody that's sick. But I cannot help but wonder if this effort these resources that we've spent on the news and this vaccine, what if these were used to provide clean water, to feed and to educate and to to provide jobs for people in this world? Where is the Operation Warp Speed for clean water for people in Africa and people in third world countries that don't have access to clean water? Where is the effort to provide the Gospel for those that are truly needing it and desperate for it? You see, I was listening to my favorite pastor the other day. And he was talking about this story. And he always does a Compassion Child Sunday. And on that, on that day, he challenges his congregation to pick up a Compassion Child packet. And the first time he did it, the first time he did it, he handed out a Compassion Child packet to everybody in the church as they walked through the door. And then he set up trash cans in the back of the door and he dared people to throw away those packets as they left that day from church. Now he said the next week his church doubled because people were telling everybody how crazy their pastor was. But I wonder how this church would respond if I did the same thing. I'm telling you that just to think, obviously, but also to to think about where our priorities are. I believe that so often our priorities are on us and not on others. And if we're to live a life like Jesus has called us, we're to think about others. 
And the reason I tell you this is because I've told you so often, I write sermons for myself because it's the only heart that I truly know. You see, Christianity is about others. I mean, listen to these words that Paul writes in Romans 9, verses 1-3. through I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I swear to God that I am not lying to you. That I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now obviously salvation does not work like this. We cannot give away our salvation, thank God, but where is our heart? Do we have sorrow and unceasing anguish in our heart for those that have been cut off from Christ? And I tell you all these stories because it's not easy to be a Christian. I mean, that's very clear throughout the book of Peter, which is why in chapter 5, Peter is calling out for leadership. Leadership to shepherd the flock. We need leaders in this church that have a desire to protect the spiritual life of those who already know Jesus. And a compassion for those in this community that have yet to know Jesus. Throughout time, there have been great leaders in the church. But I so often wonder, who is the next great leader in our church, in this worldwide, universal church? Who are the next great leaders in this church, FBC? Not just, not, not just Pastor Bill and I or the, the elders, but, but who are the next great leaders, the next great teachers, the next great people that are going to lead this church so that we can reach out to the community, so that we can be an influence for Jesus Christ right here in Douglas, Wyoming, right here in the state of Wyoming, right here in America and throughout the world. Who are the next great leaders in this church? And if we as a church body are going to walk with Christ, and it's difficult, we need leaders. And Peter right here is pleading. And he has the authority to do so. He's a fellow leader. He's not just asking you to do it. He's walking alongside of you. 1 Peter 5.1 So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Going into the future. How is First Baptist Church going to develop leaders? Leaders that have a biblical perspective of what it means to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And Peter, he's not just asking others to do it. He's walking alongside. We need leaders that are going to walk alongside. Those that are going to disciple others. As we walk with this relationship with Jesus. Because nothing is more important than our relationship with Jesus. If our life is a rope that goes around the earth an infinite amount of times, this life is but the tiniest fraction of an inch and it matters so much. It matters in everything. And I get it, Peter is a special leader. I mean, he's an actual witness of the suffering of Christ. And you may say, didn't Peter run? I mean, wasn't the Apostle John the only one there when Jesus breathed His last breath on the cross? And that's right. I mean, all the apostles fled at the beginning. 
According to Matthew 26, verse 56, all the disciples fled when, when Jesus was arrested in the garden. I mean, in the darkest moments, His disciples, they flee. And I hope so desperately that we don't flee. And that's why we need leaders. We need leaders to lead this church through the dark moments and through the good moments as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter, there's more to the story. Luke twenty two fifty four tells us that Peter followed at a distance. And I think it's safe to say, and we don't know for sure, this is just me saying this, that Peter watched from a distance as Jesus suffered. And we can so understand that he was interested in what was going on with Jesus. Jesus was his life, and he had just denied him three times. And we can assume this Bible does not lie. And when Peter says that he was a witness of the suffering of Christ, he was there. I believe that he watched from a distance in dismay, in sorrow, as his Savior was beaten, whipped, and hung on a cross. But it didn't end there. He was there as Peter rose, as Jesus rose from the grave. I believe so desperately that the reason that 1 Peter is written, the reason that Peter is so passionate in this book is that he deeply believes and saw what he is writing. And he truly believes that he will be a part of Jesus' second coming. This glory that will someday be revealed for those who are believers. When Jesus returns, and I believe that it will be greater than we can even ever fathom. And I too stand up here and tell you that I believe what I am preaching. I believe what I am telling you is true. But Peter, Peter, he saw it with his own two eyes. You see, many of you on September 11th, 2001, you watched on TV as the Twin Towers fall. But we also know that TV can lie to us a little bit. But on that day, on that day, I watched from the ninth floor of Bone Hall at Montclair State University in New Jersey. I watched the Twin Towers fall through a common window in a common room in my dormitory. And I will never forget that moment. It is etched in my mind. And I will share that story often because it is so important for the history of the United States. But what Peter saw on that day is infinitely more important than September 11th. And he is proclaiming it throughout this book. He is talking like a man that believes it. Like a man that must share it with all that will listen. A man that must shepherd his flock. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Everybody in here is the flock. I mean, I may be a shepherd, but I'm part of this flock because I'm following the chief shepherd, Jesus. And I ask, are there others in this room that are training to lead this flock as we move forward into the future? And what does it look like to be an elder, to be a pastor in this church, to be a leader in this church? We can go nowhere as a church without leadership. And this leadership, it holds true in all aspects of society. Your household, your business, wherever it may be, leadership is so important. We can all learn from this list. 
Peter says, shepherd the flock that God gave you. First of all, where does God have you? What business does God have you in? What church does God have you in? Where does God have you right here at this moment? Not where God is going to take you, but where are you at right now? Man, we have enough to worry about in the present. To not worry about what's completely in the future. Worry about where God has you. God has set aside this church and we need leaders in this church. I feel like I'm always living for this next moment. And not living where God has called me right now. And I apologize. What does a leader look like? What does a leader look like in this world, in this community? What does a leader look like in this church? We need leaders. Leaders that, that exercise oversight. And this is the same word that is used in Hebrews 12.15 when, when he says, See to it. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. When he says, see to it, it's the same word as exercise oversight. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The leaders in the church are to watch over and have oversight and of the spiritual truth in this church. Straying can be so easy. Every one of us knows somebody that has strayed, or maybe ourselves have strayed. Especially today, it can be so difficult. We're separated from people. But I tell you that fellowship, fellowship was one of the most important aspects of checking our understanding of Scripture. Over 2,000 years since our Lord died and was raised. And if you come up with something new, I'm here to tell you, it's probably wrong. Please check with somebody else. Leaders, you're here to protect the spiritual interpretation of this church and the people that are in it. And you must be willing to take on this task. Willing to let God work in your life. And you also must be willing to let others teach you things. And to do it not under compulsion. What is your attitude? Is it just an obligation? Or are you willing to do it? Do you desperately want to do what God has called you to do? You see, when I became a pastor, nothing else would suffice. Everything else was second to proclaiming God's Word. And then we move on as, as God would have you. What is God's will in your life? What does God want you to do? And God wants every one of us to do something for, for His kingdom in some way. But we need to search out our motives. Not because we want gain, but because we want to make Jesus' name bigger. To, to glorify Jesus' name in this community. Jesus is the reason that we lead. Jesus is the focus. He's the center of what we do. And at the same time, leaders should not be domineering. Verse 3. Do not domineer over those in charge, but be examples to the flock. If you're a leader, you should be the greatest example in this community. A greatest example in this building. 
And dads, you should be the greatest example in your household. And I would venture to say that your wife is the greatest servant. Maybe not all of them, but at least in mine. And men, we do not get to dominate our household. And men and women in this church, we do not get to dominate this church. Leaders, we must lead by example. We should be the first to give. We should be the first to help. We should be the first to love. We should be the first to sacrifice for the glory of Jesus Christ in this community. And I ask us, what would your life look like if Jesus came back today? And my prayer so desperately is that it wouldn't be one of domination. I believe the number one role of an elder, the most important role of an elder is to not destroy the church with domination, but to pick it up with humility and grace. Which leads us to, to verse 4. We're to be like the chief shepherd when he appears. You will receive this unfading crown of glory. I mean, what would Jesus say if He showed up at your house this afternoon? Would He see you leading your family well? Would He see you leading your business well? Would He see you leading this church well? And it it often scares me. What if Jesus showed up at my house and He wanted to give me this unfading crown of glory? Would I be willing to accept it? To accept the call of leadership? And many of you may be feeling that call. Why do I pastor? Why do I pastor? Why do I lead? Why am I an elder? I believe it's because we truly love it. I mean, even when it's hard. And I believe that if I didn't pastor, it would be a sin in my life. And nothing else would suffice. And I believe that's the type of elders that we need in this church. And I see pastors that are doing it for the wrong reason. And I ask you as a church to hold Pastor Bill and I accountable and to keep us humble. Maybe not too humble. I mean, you don't have to be mean or anything. But there's this element as a a pastor, an elder, that we should be the first to take well-hearted, constructive criticism. As elders, we should be able to accept this instruction that grows us as leaders. Even in your business, you should be willing to accept this. I mean, as, as a business leader, do you take suggestions from your employees? Do you learn from what they're trying to tell you? Or do you just ignore them? As leaders, whatever we're leading, we must be the most humble people on the planet to the glory of God. I mean, even this crown, this unfading crown we get is a symbol of our humility. Revelation 4, 9-11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever... The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crown before the throne saying, Worthy are You, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things. And by Your will they existed and were created. If the 24 elders are casting their crowns before the throne, so will all of us. And I just find it so cool to know that I am earning a crown to cast at my Savior's feet. And so often the church, we get caught up in these 24 elders. And I don't know a lot, but I know that they're not me. 
I mean, we think about, is it the patriarchs? Is it the twelve sons of Israel? Is it Jesus' disciples plus Paul? I don't know. I know they're human and I know it's not me and that's what matters. Me knowing this does not add jewels to my crown to lay at Jesus' feet. Me leading this church well puts jewels on the crown that I can give to Jesus. Me sharing the Gospel with anybody that will listen puts jewels on my crowns to give to the feet of Jesus. To lay it down at His feet. And this crown, this crown is for leaders. And are you willing to accept this crown? As I looked through the Bible, I found five crowns. I found this first one. And the second one I saw was this imperishable wreath or crown. I went to 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. Do you know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Are you running this race with Jesus as the win? I mean, this is the winner's crown. This isn't an everybody gets a trophy crown. This is for the Olympians and the athletes in terms of walking with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that Billy Graham got one of these crowns. had an imperishable wreath around his head. Because Jesus doesn't do the perishable. And when we run with Him, when we run the race, when we win, we get an imperishable crown. And number three, maybe my favorite, this crown of hope, joy, and boasting in Jesus. A crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? A crown of boasting. Boasting in the name of Jesus. Because we want that one more person to come to Jesus Christ. You all have one. You all can think of somebody. That one more person that you want to come to Jesus Christ. And are you boasting about who Jesus Christ is in your life? Peter is saying in this about the church in Thessalonica. But do we proclaim to others? Do we want a crown to lay at Jesus' feet because we told people about the joy that we have in Jesus Christ? And number four, a crown of life. I call this one the finisher's trophy. I mean, this is the one we get if we make it to the end. Did we make it through 2020? I mean, did you make it through everything this world is throwing at you? Are you a believer? then you will receive this crown of life. Your rope, this this rope spent in eternity, will be spent with Jesus. And the last one, a crown of righteousness. This is one of the participation trophy. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This crown, this crown of righteousness is for everyone. Everyone that has surrendered to Jesus Christ. And what I love about this crown is it really isn't my crown. It's it's Jesus' crown. Jesus deserves the glory. We may have ran, we may have have endured, but this is Jesus' crown. 
crown. And I cannot wait to lay this crown at Jesus' feet and to lay any other crown that He's willing to give me. I want it to be so amazing. And I know it will be amazing, not because of accolades for me, but because Jesus deserves my best. My works do not save me, but my works do earn a crown. And I want it to be the best crown that I can possibly lay at Jesus' feet. Is He not worth it? Is He not worth it? And if we look at leadership, there's also this other aspect. There cannot be great leaders without others being willing to be led. 1 Peter 5.5 Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, think about this. Really chew on this for a second. It is my role to lead my dad spiritually. It is my role to lead my mom spiritually who knows more about the Bible than I could ever even imagine. I mean, she is an inspiration to me. And I'm supposed to still learn from her. Imagine the humility that it must take for my mom and dad to learn spiritually from their son. And then on top of it, we look at this flip side. You that are younger in age, you are to be subject to those who are older. So in a sense, I must respect my mom and dad and be humble to them and obey them and listen to them and still learn from them. They have so much to teach me. I mean, look at the humility that happens between my mom and dad and I. And you all have these experiences in some way. Man, the humility. Humility is so important if we're going to walk this walk with Jesus Christ. And then we go on to this next text. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There are so many traits as believers. There are so many traits that we should hold on to, but I believe love and humility are the most important. Can you truly be a believer without displaying humility? Or at least working towards being humble because I know we're never going to get there fully. And if the Bible says that, we, that He's going to oppose something, that God opposes something, we should take notes. This statement right here is so powerful. It means that if God opposes me, then it means that this infinite rope will be spent away from Jesus. But if God gives me grace, this means that I'm connected infinitely with God. I can think of nothing greater. And as a church, we're to accept this role as leaders when God calls us. And we're to accept it with right motives. With a servant's heart. And we are to do it with a heart of eagerness. Willing to accept God's will on your life. And you are to never dominate anybody. But to be examples of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ both in this church and in this community. We are to clothe ourselves with humility. Every one of us, every one of us that calls ourselves Christian, we should be the most humble people in this world. I look about at all the things that are wrong in this world. And I can tell you, everything would be fixed with humility. 
If we want to make real change in this world, this is where we start. And I have two challenges for us as we close. First of all, to the people in this church, is God calling you to be a leader? To be an active leader as we give glory to Jesus Christ at FBC. You see, God, He is doing something in this church. God is doing something great in this church. And are you wanting, are you willing to be a part of it? And to give honor to the name of Jesus Christ. And the second challenge I have is to really evaluate what something great looks like. What does it look like in this Christmas season? What does it look like as we move into 2021? Thank God. Are we just going to keep on doing the same things in this community? Or is there something greater that this church can do in this community? Something greater that we can reach for? What does it look like for First Baptist Church as we move not only into this Christmas season, but beyond? Man, I challenge every person in this room, no matter what you have, to help somebody else. To help somebody else financially with your servanthood, with with whatever it may be. And maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's five. I don't know, but what is God laying on your heart? Who is God laying on your heart to help in this time? And don't let it just end with the Christmas season. Help others throughout your life, throughout the years. Man, how can we be the most giving, the most generous, the most loving, the most biblical, the most caring church in this community? How can your heart be the most humble? And you see people that are struggling and you have this desire to help them. And the ultimate help is Jesus Christ. That's where we need to be. That's who we need to honor. That's who we need to to help others in the name of. And we have everything. We have everything in this church. And are we willing to invest in what really matters? And that's a crown to lay at Jesus' feet. Because it's the symbol of what it means to be Jesus' hands and feet in this world. For this short time that we have on earth. And it begins... With humility. It begins with leadership. Leaders that are humble. Leaders that love Jesus desperately. And like Peter, must, must exclaim it to all that will listen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for speaking. Speaking through me and not using what I write, but using what you mean. And Lord, I love you. And this is the truth. I so desperately know that this is the truth. I can feel your Holy Spirit speaking through me. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you took a black sheep like me, a wretched man like me, and I thank you that you've taken wretched others and that you have transformed their lives and that because of you, we can be humble.
And that we can know what it's like to love others like you did. And I pray that going forward that you will give that heart to us. That we can understand it deeper and that we can just be like you. And that someday we can lay that crown down and you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.